Truth News Network. A president responds to a critic. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. Yeah. Gas at an all-time high, shortages in everything from construction supplies, hygiene products, to food? Well, as we all said more than a president ago, you can keep the change. And in a crisis, the first casualty is usually the truth. So strap in. You're with TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Yeah, we don't live in that uh, hope and change thing. We don't live in uh, change necessarily. We live in the fundamentals of democracy on which this nation was founded. That's what we're living in. Now, no question about it, there's a large group of people, not just in the United States, but around the world that disagree with that philosophy and want to go away from it. For some reason, they want to take us all back to a uh, type of government that throughout history never worked. Now, why would anybody want to do that? And I'll just tell you why. For power and for money. Because you see, any type of government, oh, it's got to have a group of real leaders at the top. People, you know, that have vested themselves with all the power, at least enough of the power, to control everybody in the country. Well, 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 do you think we're seeing that just somewhere else on the planet? Uh Uh-uh. It's trying hard to come to your neighborhood and mine here in the United States. Autocracy, led by, of course, the guy in the White House now would love to be that guy, but I don't think he is going to be that guy. I don't think there's anybody else that is pushing hard, that has any significant Uh, power in that movement thinks that Joe Biden is the guy. Joe is nothing more than a pawn and is serving a purpose. So far, I think, to be honest with you, his purpose is just to be a a placeholder. Just kind of get in there and sustain the ideology that we tried to put in place but got shortcutted with the election of Donald Trump. Just talk about those things And when we give you specifics to do, then do them. But don't do anything other than what we tell you when we tell you to do it. You think I'm exaggerating? I would love for you to give me an explanation for what we're seeing play out every day in the Biden administration. Don't try to convince me that he's the one that has authored all of this craziness. It's somebody that maybe somebody's that is putting something in front of him, and uh, he's just looking at it, reading it from the teleprompter, maybe on a piece of paper, but he's not the guy that is doing it all. He's just lighting the fuse, and he, because of that, he's expendable. Don't think that they really give a rip about Joe Biden other than he is the president of the United States. So as you look around your world, what do you see? What do you hear? A college dad was shot by two homeless men that were high on drugs and had long been sought by police. An illegal immigrant who stabbed eight on the Las Vegas Strip last week. An abused wife was slaughtered after her husband was released with no bail. In a single week, one week, The Democrats' permissive approach to law enforcement, which is 
we don't like it, we don't want it, insecure borders, cashless bail, exploding homelessness, those are part of the Democrat Party policies. All of that in one week left a lethal swath of innocent victims that shook communities coast to coast, invigorated a political debate less than 30 days from midterm elections. And this debate, it looks like it's really close to becoming the number one debate in the minds of voters for this election. Policymakers have decided that law-abiding citizens are secondary and that those who commit crimes, we see them all the time, they're afforded protections that embolden more crime. That's from Dutchess County Executive Marcus Molinaro in New York. Molinaro was reacting to that tragic shooting death of Paul Coots, a 53-year-old college dad who was gunned down in a suburban New York hotel while he was visiting his son during family weekend at Marist College. The suspects? Two homeless men that are wanted in connection with other crimes, and they were smoking a PCP-like substance, had bomb-making materials in their room. The Big Apple, New York, it's been, there's no doubt, ground zero for progressives' experimentation with things like cashless bail, and the toll exacted by repeat offenders is mounting every day. U.S. Congressman Lee Zeldin, He's the Republican nominee for governor of New York. In his campaign, he has focused relentlessly on the killing last week of 40-year-old Kiara Benefield, who was shot dead in front of her kids while she was wearing a bulletproof vest and fearing for her life from her husband. Her husband, Adam Benefield, is suspected of killing her after he was released on cashless bail on five different charges. Those charges included assault, harassment, menacing, none of which in New York are bail eligible. Now, who determines what's bail eligibility? Well, it's by the new far-left district attorney in New York. He makes the rules now. There are too many pro-criminal laws getting passed right now in Albany, the the capital of New York, that's according to Lee Zeldin. When do we say it's time to start sticking up for law-abiding New Yorkers instead of sticking up for criminals? This crime wave came literally to Zeldin's doorstep on Sunday this week when two men were shot in front of his Long Island home and his twin daughters were inside by themselves. Talk about a spooky thing for a couple of teenagers to hear the shooting going on on Long Island, right outside on the street in front of their house. The men collapsed by Zeldin's porch as the congressman was headed to a Columbus Day event in the Bronx making his home a crime scene. The daughters were at the kitchen table doing homework. One of the bullets landed just 30 feet from them. They acted very swiftly and smartly in response. And then halfway across the country, on the Vegas Strip, been there many times, it was turned into a bloody killing field last Thursday when a Guatemalan man illegally here in the United States, he knifed eight victims. Two of them died, including a showgirl. Now, can you imagine that scenario? 
the Las Vegas Strip never closes. It's always full of people, day, night, 24-7. Those casinos never close, and there are people that are up and down, people working. Everything's open 24-7, and this kind of thing happens on the Las Vegas Strip. I would never. I spent many, many days in Las Vegas, had a, a large hospital client there for a number of years and was out there one time every month for years. The episode, it stunned tourists and street entertainers alike, as you can imagine. Some have said of those said they were afraid to go back out on the streets. We're all really distraught. It happened on one of the safer locations on the Strip, and it happened at 11 o'clock in the morning. We don't feel safe being out there. Michaela Yegi who's a performer, said, we don't know what we're going to do next or how we're going to continue to make money. Donald Trump now, he's on some type of campaign trail, maybe for the 2024 presidential race, I don't know, but he's encouraged in all of his rallies, he's encouraged Republicans to make fighting crime a centerpiece of their bid to win back Congress over this final month of the election. People are afraid to walk outside to even buy a loaf of bread, he said in an interview last week, and we have to change that. Crime has been a focal point of several key races where Democrats who supported permissive criminal justice policies in the past, like Wisconsin's Mandela Barnes, Pennsylvania's John Fetterman, they have found themselves on the defensive in debates and in television ads. We have a huge problem with skyrocketing crime. That was Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican of Wisconsin, who is running for re-election, and he's running, by the way, against Mandela Barnes. This was during a Friday debate. Johnson said one of the issues is we're not keeping criminals in jail. The FBI reported last week that murders rose 4.3% last year after a record 30% spike in 2020 for a lot of voters this issue has soared to the top of the list more than three quarters of voters said violent crime is a major problem that's according to a Politico poll that was released a couple of days ago some Democrats are crying uncle seeking help from the federal government New Mexico Governor Michelle Lewan Grisham last week demanded that the Justice Department send more enforcement, law enforcement, to her state. So this is kind of like an everyday thing. I mean, if it's not shooting somebody in the middle of the street or having a gunfight or drive-by shooting or somebody knifing people, if it's not that, it's just old-fashioned things like, you know, beating people up for no reason or major theft taking a baseball bat into a high-end jewelry store in the Chicago Miracle Mile and just bashing the display cases in the middle of the day and stealing hundreds of thousands of diamonds and gold. That's no big deal. That's just another day. My parents, my parents never even dreamed that I and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren were living in this kind of environment in the United States of America. My dad, 
He was a valiant fighter in the Navy. He was on the naval ship that was the first on site to find those people that were on the ship, the Indianapolis, that took the atomic bombs that were eventually dropped at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Dad ship were the first ones there. When that ship went down, it was taken out by a Japanese sub, and nobody knew exactly where they were located, and it was a couple of days before anybody got there, my dad's ship, and hundreds of those guys were killed by sharks. Horrible time in World War II. My dad always said, we've got to make sure this country never goes back to that. A world war, we were actually in two at one time, one in the Pacific with Japan and one in Europe with Germany. I can't imagine that being the case right now. And of course, with the nuclear stuff hanging over all kinds of conversations about invasions and what's okay for countries to do to other countries. The 900-pound gorilla in the room is a nuclear missile or two or three or four. We're living in a very balanced, delicately balanced world today. Fortunately for you and me and our kids and grandkids, our parents left us better than we probably would have been at least getting our foundations in place. But there's a, there are people now illustrating these examples of the horrible crime that's just been perpetrated on people the last week. We've normalized that that's just the way it happens in big cities. Generation before me, they would have never accepted that. They would have said, okay, we'll stop it. And then what would they do? They would get out and stop it. Nowadays, all we do is worry about the political perspective that anything we say or do is going to play in the next campaign when we're running for re-election. That's all that's important. Sad to say, but I got to be honest with you, it is the absolute truth. And there are so many things that feed into that. And honestly, one of the biggest things that feeds into that is when people see our government, not just the federal government, but state and county slash parish and local governments, letting lawbreakers get by without being held accountable for their wrongdoing. And in this, in this particular case, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is illegals, illegal aliens that are flooding across our southern border and have been for 20 months under Joe Biden. They actually, when he was elected, they knew he was going to open up the border. It began to start three months before the election. Thousands of crimes, hundreds of thousands of crimes are perpetrated against Americans by illegals that have come across our southern border. Hundreds of thousands, 600,000 of those against Texas residents alone over a two-year period. Is that okay? Is that okay with Americans? Well, let's just narrow it down. Is that okay with people in office that are charged with being the ones to take care of all that kind of crap. It's not real complicated, folks. We have a pl- 
plethora of immigration laws that are very specific about what can't be allowed and what the penalties are for those who do those laws, the injustice that they do. You do the crime, you serve the time. That is gone. This administration doesn't even believe in it. And it's no big deal to them anymore. It's kind of like I told you, we've normalized violence on the streets. Oh, well, I'll just stay away from that part of town. What are we having for dinner tonight? That's the way many Americans feel about it. And the autocratic leaders, the wannabe autocratic leaders in the nation, don't think that goes unnoticed. They're watching it. And what that means to them In large part, the American population has been asleep and we're lost in our own worlds. And as long as things don't get really ugly for us and the important things, you know, like being able to make a living sufficient to support ourselves and our families and not be stripped of all the rights that were afforded to us at the foundation of the nation by this government or any government, Americans are awakened. We're more awake than we ever have been, at least in my lifetime. And I don't think this is going to stand. But still, these feckless leaders in government, all they do is they give us excuses for everything, every criminal act that's done on their watch. It's never their fault. It's never their responsibility. Case in point, Vice President Kamala Harris Joe Biden's southern borders are. Wow. She's been kinda to the border, just kinda, one time. And she didn't go to the hot spot, which is the Rio Grande Valley on the southeast side of Texas. She went to El Paso. And by the way, when she went to El Paso on Air Force Two, she was just on her way to California for some kind of fundraiser. Ah, let's just swing by El Paso on the way. She didn't go to the border. She met with people at the airport where she landed. She did not go to the border. Joe Biden has never in his life been to the southern border. Can you believe our president and vice president haven't been to the border when on their watch more than 2 million immigrants illegally have come into our country and are somewhere in our country today doing whatever it is that illegals do. Most illegals do illegal things. They've already done an illegal thing at least once to be here. And they bow up to anybody that dares to disagree with their philosophy, which is, it's not our fault. Congress won't do the right thing and change the laws. Well, the reason Congress won't do that, Mr. Biden, Ms. Harris, is because the people's representatives make the laws by telling those representatives, those members in Congress, what the people want for their state and their country, and those lawmakers vote the way their people feel about every issue. It's called democracy, representative republic democracy. What Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, when they make these allegations and start pointing fingers at Republicans that won't just fall in line, what they're really saying is, oh, we're not going to do anything about it. 
even though we we agreed, we took an oath of office to protect the Constitution of the United States and the laws of this nation. We're thumbing our noses at those things because what we want to do and have done, the members in Congress who represent the people won't let us do it. So because they won't give us our way, we're just going to sit on our hands and let all this illegal criminal activity that happens again and again. Fentanyl. If we did something just because of fentanyl, it's killing hundreds of thousands of people indiscriminately, even kids. And the Biden administration, they do nothing about it. So isn't it interesting in the wake of that, people like Governor Greg Abbott from Texas, Ron DeSantis, from Florida. They said, look, enough is enough. The Biden administration will not enforce the borders. And that is the sole responsibility. Belongs totally to the federal government. The Biden administration won't do it. We're going to wake the people up. And so how are we going to do it? We're going to let them share in taking care of some of these illegals that are coming across 1,500 a day in Texas alone, we're going to send them, start sending them to some of these big cities that are governed by these very, very hard left governors like New York and Chicago. I'm looking for it to happen in LA and San Francisco. And so they did that. They started busing. And we're not talking about 1,500 a day. Probably total of the bus trips with illegals that have showed up coming from Florida and Texas, probably 2,500, 3,000 total. That's just a day and a half or two for Texas at the southern border. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, he demanded Monday, he demanded the federal government give him a billion dollars so that he can take care of the illegal immigrant problem. That didn't happen on his watch. He didn't do anything to warrant him having all these illegals coming there. What do you think about the governor of Texas, Mayor Adams, or the mayor of El Paso that has been sending busloads of immigrants to other cities around the nation? They didn't do anything to warrant that, but because the federal government who we elect and who you gave the authority, Democrats gave their leaders the authority to thumb their noses at the rule of law, just simply because everybody in Congress won't give them their way. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to hold my breath until I turn red and pass out. No, they don't care until it touches them. It was a brilliant move by those two governors, by the way. So now, Kamala Harris, our southern border czar, she she won't go to the southern border. She doesn't know anything about it. I'm sure she's not a Fox News watcher. And the cable channels, news channels that she watches, they don't do much in the way of coverage of the southern border stuff, so she may not even know. But what she does know, the political line of the Democrat Party. Oh, she's got that down. Last night, on a late night television show. Here she is with the host and listen 
to the structure of the question and the answer about what Greg Abbott has done and the overall illegal immigration problem and who is responsible for that problem. Came in office the first. Um, I don't think that you know playing games with people's lives is the solution to this problem. But based on uh, yeah. the record amount of arrests at the border, it is a problem. I think we look to our leaders at times like these. What is the path forward? Well, let's start with the, the first point that you made. Um, I mean, we're talking about people who have fled great harm. They've fled great harm. And they are coming here seeking refuge. And talk about political theater. I mean, playing games with people's lives, like with their lives. You know, there were mothers with sleeping babies getting off those buses. And I just think it's an absolute dereliction of duty. If you see a problem... And if we agree that, that we need to address it, then if you're a leader, participate in a solution, right? When we first came in office, the first bill that we proposed was for a pathway for citizenship, was to fix a broken immigration system, which was broken under the previous administration. Participate in the solution, because we are offering solutions. But instead, this gamesmanship with real human beings who trust us. She was asked one question. What is the path forward? Did she give any answer? No, she didn't. Oh, we've been, we've been putting out solutions to this, and for political purposes, they won't listen to us. We put out some ideals that included a path forward for illegal immigrants. That's a talking point and nothing else. Their path forward is simply flip the switch, let them register, let them get into the U.S. Social Security system and be citizens and vote. That's their path forward. They won't talk about it. Well, why doesn't the conservative groups in Congress agree with them. Let's just put a plan together for these illegals to become legal. Wow, what a novel idea. There is a path forward already. It's supposed to have been followed by this administration. The immigration system was not broken in the or under the previous administration. Donald Trump was doing what the Constitution requires that anybody in leadership do, which is enforce the laws passed by the people's representatives, of which Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were at one time, both in the U.S. Senate. But instead of doing the right thing and creating a path for success that's based on doing the right thing, of which the fundamental is, the foundation is, the United States Constitution. There have been millions of legals that have immigrated to the United States since it was founded. How did they do that? There's a process in place, a legal process. 
Is it a difficult task to attack? Yes, it is. But it takes a real process with someone who is really committed. And the number one thing, do it legally. When you look at immigration and you throw in every country on earth, 192 countries, sometimes that number goes up, sometimes it goes down, but that's roughly how many countries on earth. You take those 191 of them, we're the 192nd, but you take 191 countries and you look at their immigration processes and look how many legals they let come into their country every year, the total of all 192 in one year doesn't equal what the United States has done for decades in allowing legal people to immigrate to the nation. We average a million a year. All the other countries combined is not a million a year. But yet, you heard the vice president a heartbeat away from being the president of the United States. She doesn't give a path forward. All she can do is point fingers and blame. It's somebody else's responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. We want to do legal immigration, but Congress won't give us what we want legally. And what they want is Congress to legalize opening the southern border and letting anybody and everybody in that wants to come in. That's their path forward. Wow. Let me, let me tell you something exciting. And I want everybody that is involved in uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, or any other one, or you're pondering doing it. Tomorrow at 9 o'clock on our show, a few minutes after 9 o'clock, our special guest is one of Bitcoin's most well-known experts. His name is Dunstan Tao, T-E-O. He's originally from Singapore. He lives in Dubai now. He's going to be on the show live with us. He's a friend of mine. And a couple of things you need to know. Right now, he is the largest owner of Bitcoin. Anybody that gets into cryptocurrency, if you call them and tell them Dunstan Tao is going to be on Dan Newman's TNN Live tomorrow, they'll be plugged in. We don't have any time limit. I've got a plethora of questions I'm going to ask him. Many of them I've already asked him, and I've got the answers. But I want you to hear from this guy who is the guy. Think about the money that's in Bitcoin. (laughs) And he's the number one owner in Bitcoin. He's also the co-founder of a brand new cryptocurrency, Philcoin, P-H-I-L-C-O-I-N. That's how we met. That's how we came together. I'm into Philcoin. I was right at the beginning of it when it went public. And it's not just another cryptocurrency. He's going to talk to you and tell us about and explain what Philcoin is. It'll blow your mind. He's a Christian guy, a good Christian guy. Both of us one time when we were on a video conference, we got got into really big personal stuff and we both wept. (laughs) <laughs> in a in a, uh, a video conference, just the two of us. But he's a really good guy and is a guy that you want to know and understand. He'll be with us at about 10 minutes after 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Tell everybody. 
Tell everybody. Again, if you want to look him up, it's D-U-N-S-T-O-N, Dunstan, Tao, T-E-O. And you may want to look up Philcoin and just learn a little bit about it before he comes in to talk to you about it tomorrow. We've got so much more to talk about today. My gosh, it seems like the week has been going on for four or five days. There have been so many things of importance in the news, and we can't get to all of them. We're going to get the highlights, the really big ones. Don't go away. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Trucker Fire Insurance Exchanges or affiliate. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go from the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. For over 70... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore. Well, that just wouldn't be fair. Oh my gosh. My wife would uh, find a way to leave Earth (laughs) if there was a second one of me. Oh my goodness. I can't say anything bad. I'm blessed. Highly blessed. Highly favored. A wife for 47 years, three amazing children, and six grandchildren. And all my grandkids live within five miles of me. Tell me I'm not a blessed man. I don't know anybody that has that, uh, that wonderful thing to that level that we do. Having, and, and we're not talking about little babies. We're talking about high school, college, and above that. They all live here. And we have family events together, at least one a month, sometimes two or three a month. And we just love it. We had a, uh, a party on Sunday night. And we went over to our oldest daughter's house and everybody brings food to eat. And part of our extended family came into town from uh, Savannah, Georgia. And so we don't get to see them a lot. It was the husband, wife, and their dogs. (laughs) And uh, her sister, who grew up with our two daughters, they were best friends. They grew up together, went to school together, lived with each other pretty much 
24-7. I'm saying all that to say this. If you have the opportunity to get more plugged into your family and include in your life more of their lives, I encourage you to do it. Yep, sometimes there's a price to be paid. Everything doesn't always go smoothly in families. I I come from a a broken home. My family split up when I was 15, and uh, it tore me up. To this day, I'm 69 years old. To this day, there's not one day that goes by that I don't think about that. I don't obsess about it. I just think about it, and I feel blessed that my family, my family, my kids didn't have to deal with that. And somebody said probably or thought when I said that, well, you're just married 47 years. Marianne still has time to dump you. Yeah, she does, but I doubt that she would. She would she would miss me. <laughs> What's some of that important stuff that's going on that I told you about? Tulsi Gabbard. I've always thought a lot about her. She was a uh, congressperson from Hawaii, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, she served in the military. She was an officer in the military in Iraq, which is very unusual. But she's very outspoken. She has a good voice, a speaking voice, kind of low, lower than most women. And she communicates very well. She retired from the House in 2021. And yesterday, she attacked Congress, the structure, in a nearly 30-minute video posted to her YouTube account. She's leaving the Democrat Party. In fact, she did already yesterday. Now, that to me is a shocker, although when you watch her or listen to her, and the first time I heard about her was when she made that run for the presidency in uh, 2020 in that election. Was it 2020 or 2016? I can't remember. Anyway, that was the first time I saw her and I watched her. Uh, it was the the uh, 20, it was 2018. Gosh, I can't remember. Kamala Harris was running, and the reason I remember that is Tulsi Gabbard in a uh, on-stage debate. She just ripped Kamala Harris. Kamala went after her, and it was like a dog fight, a cat fight, and Tulsi Gabbard won it. Anyway, she is very conservative, moderate in the Democrat Party she was. But she said this yesterday, I can no longer remain in today's Democrat Party that is now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoke anti-white racism. As she posted that on her Twitter account, she went on to call the other moderate Democrats to do the same thing. I, I tell you what, Go to her Twitter account, Tulsi, T-U-L-S-I, Gabbard, G-A-B-B-A-R-D, at Tulsi Gabbard, and look and listen. She posted a video talking about all this. She's pretty sharp. I would not be surprised if she doesn't land in the Republican Party, if she just stays as an independent. Here's what she said. I believe in a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, As I tell you pretty much all the time, today's Democrat Party does not believe in that. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. 
She continued, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democrat Party. So this announcement served as the inaugural episode of her show, the Tulsi Gabbard Show, a podcast she is now running. Now, she's she got increasingly uh, far away from the Democrat establishment since her failed candidacy in the 2020 election. She has also become a vocal critic of President Biden, denouncing him for pouring fuel on the flames of division. Supposed to be Mr. Uniter-in-Chief, but he's anything but that. Newt Gingrich weighed in yesterday about her switch. He praised her for ditching the Democrats. He argued she's one of the many Americans who traditionally have voted blue, but now find Democrats in the Democrat Party unrecognizable. He said she's always been sort of an independent maverick, and I think when she ran for president, she realized how really isolated she was from the great majority of the Democrat Party, which is now, frankly, a pretty weird party. I think you're seeing this drift, and we've certainly seen among Latinos a huge drift towards the Republican Party as they're driven away by the weirder policies of the Democrat Party. Wow. So, the Democrat Party, what are they doing? (laughs) Well, I don't need to tell you, they are doing a lot, a bunch. So, what are they not doing? Well, the Department of Justice is not going after Hunter Biden. They're not. And every day we learn there's more weird, wrongdoing, sometimes illegal things happening in the saga of Hunter Biden, that laptop. And mainstream media is just ignoring it. Yesterday, Martha McCallum and Joe Concha had a conversation about it. And listen to this back and forth between the two about Hunter Biden and a few other things and what should be being done that's not being done. I think the real question is, though, is what the F- what, what's the FBI really going to do? I mean, the, the American people have common sense. They see the facts. They see that there was a laptop. There was the eyewitness. There was the emails. There are all these suspicious activity reports. We have the majority. Bring them in front of Congress. Do the depositions that need to be done so we can get the facts. Congressman Jim Jordan not only promising to investigate Hunter Biden, but saying that his party would hold the FBI accountable. The agency is accused, some of uh, members of the agency accused of suppressing information from Hunter's laptop ahead of the 2020 election. And then there was, of course, the participation of social media in that effort as well. So federal prosecutors reportedly have enough evidence to slap the president's son with tax charges or gun charges, potentially. Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says she doesn't think any of this is news. Investigators believe they do have enough evidence to charge Hunter Biden. How large is this looming over the president, over Democrats broadly? I looked at a bunch of local uh, front pages uh, yeah. this morning. And if you look at the front page in Nevada, they're talking about Trump's rally there. If you look at the front pages in Pennsylvania, they're talking about Mastriano. As much as there was so much news happening in Washington this week, it doesn't always translate and often doesn't translate to what voters are talking about in states. And I think that's what we're seeing currently. Oh, 
Joe Concha, Fox News mm -hmm. contributor and media columnist for The Hill, yeah. joins me now. Uh, Joe, Jen Psaki says it, it doesn't rate as a story. Um, mm -hmm. Clearly, that's what happened before the election. There was a lot of effort to make sure that it didn't rate as a story, and it sounds like yeah. some of that is continuing. I, I love her reasoning here, Martha. The Hunter Biden story is only a minor inside baseball thing because she doesn't see the story on front pages of newspapers throughout the country. Well, yeah, of course she doesn't. Uh, the media is running the same playbook it ran in October of 2020, mostly dismiss what is a major story. It could be the biggest story of this presidency if Joe Biden received 10 percent of profits as the big guy, which Hunter Biden's business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, a former lieutenant in the Navy, is alleging. And if and when the GOP takes back the House increasingly that looks like it'll be the case uh, as Jim Jordan said that will be one of the first orders of business to launch hearings and investigations into this and that will make things very uncomfortable for Hunter Biden but also James Biden the president's brother President Biden obviously and FBI director Chris Ray who needs to answer some serious questions on why his agency doesn't appear to be very interested in pursuing all the leads courtesy of that laptop from hell and its contents Tony Bobolinsky himself says that he hasn't heard from the FBI since bringing it to their attention uh, since October of 2020. He's not heard from them. Why is that? Those are the questions that That's Jim Jordan and others will be asking. You would think they would at least want him to come in uh, for a little bit of a chat after sure. all of that. Um, so we have seen it many times, the president sort of blowing off questions from White House reporters. Saturday Night Live jumped on this bandwagon, raising some questions about the president's mental acuity as well during their weekend update. Here's what they did on Saturday Night Watch. President Biden pardoned thousands of convicted marijuana users, and it feels like maybe he celebrated with them a little because yesterday Biden gave a speech at a car factory and opened with this. Let me start off with two words, made in America. <laughs> Biden was then heard criticizing reporters at the White House for shouting questions at him. Questions like, what year is it and who's the current president? <laughs> So they weren't reporters, they were doctors. <laughs> hmm. Joe, what do you think? That was one of the best Saturday Night Lives I have seen probably since the Will Ferrell era. And it only took 21 months into this presidency, but, but it appears Saturday Night Live has finally got the memo of who is actually in power, and his name isn't Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden. And, and when it comes to providing copious amounts of comedic material, as we just saw there, it's the current guy occupying the, the Oval Office. And, and I also think that probably SNL, Martha, they looked at the horrific ratings for the soon-to-depart mm -hmm. Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, Samantha Bee, Colbert, Kimmel, Seth Meyers, all losing more and more of their audiences while also serving as progressive activists and predictable ones at that. And nothing in comedy is worse than knowing what's coming before so it is ever said. So, yes, yeah. SNL still continue to hit Trump, absolutely. But, yeah, finally, Biden uh, gets the treatment that he deserves, given all the gaps and all the things well, that he says that makes you, you shake know, your head. I mean, SNL was at its best when it was sort of an equal opportunity offender. And I think that's what people yeah. connect with. They want to see um, fun poked at the president, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, uh, in yeah. different situations. Situations. And, you know, when it became so painfully clear which side of the fence they were on, I think it became less funny to, to a lot of folks. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is a trend. Well, I don't know where or if the Hunter Biden stuff is going to go forward. I really don't know. Uh, I have some theories I've shared here at Truth News Network. One of those is that they are throwing up this um, IRS fraud that Hunter committed and that fraud that he committed when he applied for a weapon, he lied on the application, 
which is a criminal act, using those two and putting some kind of um, charges together to charge him with doing and being involved in those things to deflect from the other stuff. You know, the little things like being on the board of Burisma Holding in Ukraine making $60,000, $80,000 a month for really doing nothing. For flying on Air Force Two with his dad when his dad was vice president and cutting deals in China and in Ukraine for major dollars, major dollars. The Chinese deal with CEFC, the biggest power company in China, was an investment deal. And they put, the Chinese government put, a billion, 500 million in their private equity, Hunter's private equity firm. He had no investment private equity experience whatsoever. All of those things, they don't want anybody to touch them because there, I promise you, is some illegality and very unethical things. And according to evidence in the hands of Bobolinsky, Hunter's former partner, business partner, he's got a treasure trove of documents, emails, even telephone conversations that implicate Joe Biden, President Joe Biden and all of that. Oh, why don't you flip over to CNN or MSNBC or ABC News, NBC, CBS News. You'll find out all about it, about Bobolinsky. <laughs> no, you won't. Crickets. They don't cover any of this stuff. Speaking of FBI problems, Christopher Ray, Ted Cruz, next. From Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN. News Network. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers Man Coaching. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. helping hand those who fall and get back up and long live the truck with the strength to overcome the will to outwork and the commitment to outlast them all ram proven to last This is one of those songs that when you hear the beginning of it, you automatically know who it is. This was a cool one. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Well, 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 don't forget, tomorrow on our show, Dunstan Tao will be our guest in the 9 o'clock hour. 
one of the founders of Philcoin cryptocurrency, but he's also the largest holder of Bitcoin. Wow, what does that mean? Well, he's worth a lot of money. I know him. I have spent time with him in conversations. He's originally from Singapore. He lives in Dubai now, and uh, he's a great guy. I mean, really a great guy, and I'm not talking about being a successful businessman. I'm talking about somebody that is really involved in things for others. One of those things for others is Philcoin, which you'll be talking about more tomorrow morning. Philcoin is a brand new cryptocurrency he's the co-founder of, and it's totally different from every other cryptocurrency in existence. So he walks in with some credentials. If you know anybody that does cryptocurrency or is familiar with it, just mention the name. Hey, Dunstan Tao's going to be on TNN Live tomorrow morning. They'll tell you, oh my gosh, everybody in currency, cryptocurrency, they know who he is because he is one of the guys, probably in the top three in the cryptocurrency world. So I think he's going to come on at uh, about 9.10, 10 minutes after, uh, yeah, 10 minutes after 9 o'clock in the morning. Now we got to coordinate our time because he's on the other side of the earth, but it will all we uh, all work out. And um, tell tell some people, some other people about it so that they'll know about it. And of course, if you miss it, you can always grab it later on Spotify podcast, also iHeart, um, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon, any place you go to get a podcast, it'll be there, TNN Live. Now, we just mentioned a little bit about the issues going on with our FBI. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with our FBI, and the lot of stuff there is going on there is they're not doing things like holding people accountable for breaking laws. Senator Ted Cruz in the Senate Judiciary Committee He got into a back and forth with FBI Director Christopher Wray. Why don't we listen in? Director Wray, I'm deeply concerned that the FBI and the Department of Justice have become thoroughly politicized. I think this is a problem that began during the Obama administration. I think it metastasized with career officials during the Trump administration, and I think it continues and is even worse today under the Biden administration. I don't believe you personally reflect that politicization, but I think you've been unwilling to root it out and unwilling to hold people accountable for the politicization. I hear regularly from FBI agents and from professionals at the Department of Justice who are dismayed that our law enforcement has been weaponized and politicized rather than remaining apolitical as it has been for the history of our country. Yesterday, it was reported that Project Veritas had obtained a copy of an FBI training material, which listed various symbols and themes which, in the FBI's estimation, were indicative of, quote, militia violent extremism. Now, these symbols weren't things like the Ku Klux Klan or the Nazi Party, which naturally would be symbols of that, but instead they included, rather astonishingly, patriotic symbols of our nation and our history. Included on this list is the Betsy Ross flag. Now, that's fairly remarkable that the Betsy Ross flag in the FBI's indication is indicative of violent 
uh, militia violent extremism because among other people who have been publicly alongside the Betsy Ross flag, we have President Barack Obama who was sworn in directly underneath two Betsy Ross flags. But it's not just President Obama. We also have President Biden who was sworn in under Betsy Ross flags. It's not just the Betsy Ross flag. Also on this list is the Gadsden flag as a symbol of violent extremism. Now, the state of Virginia has a license plate for the Gadsden flag, as do many other states. I think people would be astonished to find that having that license plate, the FBI indicates that you're a violent extremist. Also included on this is a text that I was particularly struck is the Gonzales battle flag. Come and take it. As indicative of being a violent extremist militia. Well, I will self-report right now that every day in the Senate I wear my boots that have the Gonzales battle flag on the back of them. Director Ray, what are y'all doing? This makes no sense. Do you, do you agree with this FBI guidance that the Betsy Ross flag and the Gadsden flag and the Gonzales battle flag are signs of militia violent extremism? Well, Senator, I, I'm not familiar with the particular document you have behind you, uh, and I'm not in the practice of trying to comment on documents that I haven't uh, recognize, but I will tell you that when we put out intelligence products, including ones that reference symbols, which we do across a wide variety of contexts, we usually uh, make great pains, take great pains to put uh, caveats and warnings in the document that make clear that a symbol alone is not considered evidence of violent extremism, uh, and it's well. But Director Ray, you don't include things like. Antifa, you don't include things like Black Lives Matter. Instead, you identify patriotic Americans as suspects. And I would note there's a pattern of this. As you're aware, the National Association of School Boards asked the Attorney General to investigate parents as domestic terrorists under the Patriot Act. Now, it did so because it was upset about moms and dads coming to school boards and disagreeing with the policies of those schools. Five days after that letter, the Attorney General sent a memo to you directing the FBI to target parents for investigation. Since that time, the National Association of School Boards has apologized for the letter because it was so indefensible, but that hasn't stopped the FBI. In fact, you've created a specific threat tag uh, directed at parents. So let me ask you, how many moms and dads who have spoken up at school boards has the FBI interviewed or investigated since the memo from the Attorney General? Well, first off, I'll say I'm not aware of any. But second, let me address the issue. You're not aware of any? Like Is, the House of Representatives me, has you, written you and asked you, would you about let me, it. If you would let me. So please answer. Please. Uh, let me say to you and to this committee the same thing I said to every FBI field office after I read the memo which was that the FBI is not going to be in the business of investigating speech or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else. 
uh, and that we're not about to start now, that threat violence, threats of violence, that's a different matter altogether, and there we will work with our state and local partners as we always have. So, Director Ray, Director Director Ray, our time is, do you know how many parents you have interviewed or investigated since that, that memo? I am aware that we have had a small number of assessments which is less than an investigation and a few full investigations. Not, hold on, hold so on, how many hold, have you hold on, hold, let me finish. I, I'm just, I'm asking you a question, that, time is limited. I don't know the number, but that not, okay, but, well, but, well, but wait, let me finish, that are not necessarily of parents. We have individuals who have made threats against a variety of people, sometimes school board officials, sometimes other okay, people as Director well. Director Ray, I, I will point out the House of Representatives has sent you oversight letters detailing dozens of investigations under a threat tag directed at parents, parents, moms and dads, who GMED have come in because they spoke out against mass mandates or vaccine mandates or critical race theory, and suddenly the GMEN show up. And this was after the Attorney General claimed it wasn't happening. And so the pattern, sadly, we've seen, you say you don't know how many there are. The follow-up will be, I'll send you a letter, and you'll send back a letter that says I refuse to answer it. Let me give one, another example. Recently, there was the case against individuals charged with kidnapping and murdering Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. That case ended up an absolute debacle where the four people who went to trial, two of them were acquitted, two received mistrials, None of them were convicted on even a single charge, and the basis of the defense was entrapment, that the FBI, that paid enforcements for the FBI, had suggested and had incited the conduct. Let me ask you, how many FBI agents were disciplined or reprimanded after that disastrous case and the misconduct that led to every defendant being acquitted or having a mistrial on every charge? Uh, Senator, I can't comment on a personnel matter. I can tell you that that case, as I understand it, is now pending a, uh, a retrial, as I understand it. Well, the special agent in charge of that case has now been sent to D.C., to the Washington, D.C. office, and now leads the investigation regarding January 6th. Is that correct? That doesn't sound right to me. That does not sound right. The, the, the name of the individual is Stephen D'Antuno. He was, he was run out of the FBI Detroit field office. And by the way, I will point okay. out that the lead investigator, Special Agent Track, are you aware that he was apparently fired for allegedly beating his wife after coming home from a swingers party and he'd made multiple derogatory political posts about President Trump showing political bias? Are you aware of that? I am aware of, I think, the incident you're describing uh, and action that was taken about it. Uh, to clarify on the first part of your question, uh, Mr. D'Antuano was the special agent in charge of the office, uh, the Detroit field office, and is now the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office. I thought you were asking about the agent who was responsible for the... So the guy in charge got promoted and is now in charge of the January 6th investigation. The guy in charge of the whole Detroit field office is now in charge of the whole Washington field office. That is astonishing. You listened to that, and you heard the back and forth. You heard the arrogance of the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray. Now put that in the context of what things you're seeing play out around us every day where the FBI is just vapid. They've become a Democrat arm, kind of like a private security entity for the United States Congress and anybody that's a Democrat. And oh, by the way, that includes the president of the United States. We have some problems there. The FBI is not 
what they have been in the past. The FBI is not the premier law enforcement agency on the planet. They're not anymore. Why? Because they pander to politicization on any and every issue. And we're seeing it exposed. Think back about what happened during the Trump administration. The Russia collusion investigation. I have never seen so much graft and corruption among lawmakers uh, and law enforcers in the FBI as we saw then. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And let me say this, somebody that is uh, on the tip of the spear is our buddy from here in my town, Shreveport, Louisiana, Steve Baker. Steve is in Washington, D.C. Are you there, my friend? I am, Dan. How are you? Fine. Let me get you a little bit louder. You, uh, you must be talking low. Are you in the trial situation today? Yeah, I'm actually sitting in the uh, media room, and I just stepped out of there to chat with you. So now I'm actually in a corner of the, well, I guess it's called the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. So the big giant courthouse here about a block from the Capitol building. So give us a quick summary of what you're there for and what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Well, I am covering the Oath Keepers trial right here in the building where it's taking place. And I have a rather unique perch because I'm sitting in a room full of nothing but mainstream media correspondence. <laughs> and I am like the uh, black sheep in there. Well, yeah, you're a real reporter. <laughs> you're not th- <laughs> you're not there to get a political slant that each one of those mainstream media reporters are there to find. You know, Dan, the real difference is, and we all have to admit, we enter situations like this with our own biases our own presuppositions about the way the world should work and even about how this trial should ultimately be adjudicated. But one thing that I'm trying to do that they're not doing in that room, and I'm reading every one of their articles every single night after every single uh, day's worth of hearings, and that is I'm trying to include everything, good or bad, that was said in that courtroom or that happened in that courtroom, whether it was uh, beneficial to the Oath Keepers or it was harmful to their case. But when you read their articles, you see them leave out entire gaps, especially last week, because last week did not go well for the prosecution. It was not a good week for them. They did not land any uh, major uh, punches, uh, punches. They certainly didn't uh, land any KOs last week. So give us the summary. We've got five Oath Keepers that are there being tried, various charges for each of them. They're all in this courtroom. It's all happening at one time, all five? Yeah, there's five this time. Uh, There's going to be somewhere between four or six in the next round, which is scheduled to begin in November. The reason why we don't know that number is some of these guys are getting scared and and are pleading out and they're unfortunately making deals with the government to actually testify against their, their brothers and the Oath Keepers. Well, two things always happen in an FBI investigation. Somebody will always get in trouble and they'll get an opportunity to plead out. In fact, you never get a deal done with the FBI unless you agree 
to plead guilty so they can That's publicly right. say, hey, this guy was wrong, he pled guilty, and we're going to give him a lesser thing. We cut a deal with him. So exactly. what specifically, the, the guys that are being there, uh, they're being prosecuted now, what are the charges against them? Well, the, the biggest charge, of course, Dan, is the seditious conspiracy charge. Explain what that and, is. Well, it's, an, it's a rather um, ancient code in our you know, federal regulations. It was established early in the 1800s, I want to say around 1804, something somewhere in that uh, vicinity. And as far as we know, and as best I can tell, nobody in the United States history has ever been convicted in a U.S. court of seditious conspiracy. Of course, there's been a couple of attempts over the years to prosecute somebody under that statute, but it's never been successful. So this is a, a, a high hurdle for the prosecution to, to cross anyway, just from a technical standpoint. But they also have the advantage that there is a major need to get a couple of uh, gun belt uh, notches for Nancy Pelosi and her, you know, her narrative of this particular event. Oh, you're still there? Okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right, I hear you. <laughs> yes. Now. 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 Okay. We're there back. We, are. I, we had a little glitch here in the control room. Okay. The specifics of what you are hearing and are they doing it one defendant at a time or are all the attorneys allowed to cross-examine the witnesses? How is this thing structured? Yeah, uh, technically and structurally, that's exactly what's happening. So one of the assistant U.S. attorneys for the government will come up and question uh, any given witness. And of course, it's all prosecution right now. They, they won't turn this trial over to the defense for another two or three weeks. This thing is going long. And so what happens after the prosecution questions their own witness, then of the five defendants, all five of their attorneys get a crack at the, uh, at the witness. So it, this, this obviously stretches this thing out because they all want to get their, they want to get their blows in. And, um, and they don't always take advantage of it, maybe just two or three of them. And typically, the questioning of the, um, of the, of the witness is more specific to a, spe to a specific defendant. So that particular uh, legal team will take the lead on the cross-examination. Cross and then the next ones will come up and do much shorter uh, questioning. So specifically the charges against these five, which are the worst in the way of, if they're convicted of penalties that they'll have to serve or deals cut or whatever? Yeah, the the number of charges against these five range from as few as four or five up to as many as 11 or 12. 
but the seditious conspiracy trial uh, charge is a cross the board for all five, and that is the most serious. That basically carries a minimum of a 20-year sentencing guideline, and then they can pile all the rest on, uh, assuming that the jury convicts them of more than just that charge. We've heard that a lot of these January 6th arrestees that have been held in the Washington, D.C. jail, they've not been allowed to um, take care of themselves. They get to take a shower maybe a week, and they don't get to shave. Are these guys like that in the courtroom? Well, actually, they've uh, been allowed to clean up for the courtroom, and it was just only a few weeks ago that some of the guys were even allowed to get their first shave and haircut in a year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which was pretty amazing because they were having to actually show up for their Zoom hearings with the judge looking like, you know, wild men from Borneo. Yeah. And so that's not good. Interestingly, though, a couple of the guys were just denied this weekend the opportunity to get their haircuts and to get shaved for this week's presentation. Because once again, because they are not vaccinated, they are treated as less the humans in the in the jail system here than the uh, defendants who are vaccinated by for the COVID. Well, to wrap this thing up, tell us the most pointed things that you have seen happen in the courtroom. You've been there now, better part of two weeks. Yeah, the biggest thing that has happened so far and that the mainstream media has completely ignored was the fact that on Thursday of last week, the prosecution actually put on the stand a convicted child molester. Now, you won't hear that from CBS, Reuters, AB, AP rather, CNN. Um, the New York Times actually covered the, the witness himself, but they, in their story, they completely cleaned him up to make him seem a credible witness. And he was anything but. So what was and, he? What was he up there to testify? I mean, it's not like, uh, hey, if you're a child molester, you're eligible, you're qualified. <laughs> what, what what was he, he talking about? His story is is that he's an alleged oath keeper leader. He's a former marine, former airman. Joined the oath keepers under those, uh, you know, ostensibly those brothers, and would have had to actually lie on his oath oathkeeper application in order to be accepted by them because they do not accept convicted felons. This guy was also one of the weirdest human beings, Dan, you've ever seen in your life. The first thing that he did when he got to the stand, and unfortunately, and this is the only federal building in the entire country where the dang COVID masks are still required. Oh my gosh. But when you take, Yes, it is. It's the only building in, in the city, the city and in the country where it's still required. And the reason for that is, is because they scared the D.C. residents so resolutely they can't get jurors to show up without a mask mandate. I got it. Yeah, it's crazy. So this guy gets on the stand and he's wearing his mask. Well, when you take the stand, you have to take the mask off so that the jury can see your face and evaluate from your body language, your facial expressions, whether you're lying or telling the truth. That makes sense. Yeah, of course. So the judge instructs, in this guy's name, by the way, 
oh, and by the way, one of his about 40 names, we found out, <laughs> was Ab Abdullah Rashid. All right. He looked at the judge and said, no, I don't want to take it off. After the judge instructed him, the judge then told him, well, look, you're going to have to wear, a, uh, if you're going to wear a mask, it has to be a clear one. So they were going to provide for him a clear mask so the jury could see his face. And then he, he denied to wear that as well, went maskless. And then it just went downhill from there. The guy obfuscated. He was duplicitous on virtually every question that he was asked. But he was there, to answer your question, to authenticate a uh, recording he had made of a specific chat call, conference call, with a bunch of Oath Keepers that ostensibly had some inflammatory type of rhetoric on the, on the call. Well, did that come out? I mean, did you yes, hear? Yes, they played the tape. Yeah, they played the tape, uh, which was exactly why he had to be there. It could not be presented into evidence unless it was authenticated. So this was the only person that could authenticate it. But the point being, though, Dan, is it really was just the information on the tape was just more of the same of what has already been presented by the prosecution. And had cameras been in the courtroom, which are not allowed in federal court, there's no way they would have put this guy on the stand, especially when under cross-examination, uh, he had to admit to his uh, conviction as a child molester. And he also had to admit that since 2007, he's legally changed his name six times. And then his online personas, he operates under about 30 or 40 other now names. This is a weird dude. Wow. So, you still have a long way to go, don't you? Yeah, this this could take uh, a minimum of another six weeks, maybe eight. Well, listen, do this. I know you're there. You're on point. I'm reading what you're following up to your followers. And just a second, I want you to tell our people one more time where your stuff can be obtained. But uh, anytime anything big happens during these hearings and uh, the prosecution of these five guys, pick up the phone and call. And uh, if we're on the air, we'll go live immediately. If we're not, we'll get it to the people. We'll record it and get it to the people ASAP. Fantastic. That's great. Well, I will tell you, I am literally tweet storming from the courtroom uh, every day. So they can follow me on Twitter if they have a Twitter account. And it's at TPC, the number four, USA at TPC for USA, or they can follow and read and listen to my longer synopsis of each day's uh, uh, trial on my locals page. And that's the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com. Got it. Buddy, we really appreciate you being there. It's got to be boring as heck, at least some of the time, because <laughs> I, I've been in, I've been in a, yeah. a murder trial. So I, yeah. I, I know how caustic it can get, but there are a lot of times when you just go to sleep, there's so much crap going on. There's, there's a, a tremendous amount of tedium as they plow through just the required legal, you know, uh, machinations of the court, uh, which, is, which is quite boring. I can only imagine. Well, Steve Baker, you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <Dan. laughs> Hang in there, buddy. And if we don't talk before, we'll talk next Tuesday. 
I have a feeling we'll be talking before. Okay, let me know. Thanks, Dan. Have a great one. You too. Steve Baker from the Federal Courthouse in Washington, D.C. You know, that can't be a good job. I would literally be bored to tears. But when I said he's one of my heroes, he, he is because he is following it. And uh, the truth about these Oath Keepers, not what they're charged with, because I can tell you, I've seen some of the evidence. They didn't do the stuff they're charged with doing. This is all for the pontification of the evil January 6th and the perpetration of it by their leader, they say, they being the FBI says. Donald Trump was the instigator of it all. We have a whole lot more, and you're going to hear from some other folks you need to hear from. It's a busy day. Don't go anywhere. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. You left your wallet at home. But now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Conservative thought, not just talk. At TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. We have a lot of folks that tune in for the special things and the people that we have on the show. And for those of you that came in to hear Steve Baker, I want to say thank you. We're glad to have you. Please come back at any time and know this. If you miss a show... You can always grab it later by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcast, and what am I leaving out? Amazon and in pretty much any place you get your podcast. And the show title is TNN Live. And when you put that in the search bar and come up, it'll be the, our homepage. And the latest show will be at the top. You can listen to it right there. You can download it. And you don't, you don't have to ever miss a show. We're glad you joined us today. And don't forget, also tomorrow in our 9 o'clock hour, Dunstan Tao will be with us live. He is one of the, uh, the big guys in the creation of Bitcoin. And he's a co-founder of another cryptocurrency, Philcoin, that I'm involved with. He's also, by the way, the largest holder in the world of Bitcoin. 
And uh, if you are talking to anybody about cryptocurrency, ask them. Don't listen to me. Ask them what they know about Dunstan Tao, T-E-O, and they'll explode. Everybody in crypto world knows him and has a tremendous amount of respect for him. So he'll be with us about 10 minutes after 9 o'clock tomorrow morning in our first hour. Something that is not getting the attention that I think it should in our news media. That's just one thing. There are plenty of things. But really not paying close attention to what average Americans are going through, living through Bidenflation. Citizens suffering in the middle of this and doing so in a dramatic fashion, rising cost of living, or finding it difficult to pay their bills on time. Now, this is especially troubling to me. People just can't pay their bills on time. And the reason it's especially troubling to me was I was alive in the last such inflation environment. I was in business. And I dealt through it, all the way through it, looking at it, from two perspectives. The business that I worked for, I was a general sales manager of the largest Ford Lincoln Mercury Toyota dealership in the South. What it did to our business there, and of course everything in a business rolls down to the stockholders, the employees, and it all goes downhill. And then of course what it did to us personally. That was in uh, 1976 through 1981-82 is when it finally was fixed. Jimmy Carter was elected president in 1976, the same day our middle daughter was born. November 2nd, 1976. With him came a world economic view, kind of like the one that our leaders are trying to get us to go to here, and inflation went through the roof, and it did so very, very quickly. Lending tree, you've heard of them. Lending Tree said that 30% of Americans paid a bill late over the last six months. It surveyed about 1,600 consumers regarding their bill-paying habits. One key finding was that 61% of us who've paid a bill late in the past six months say they didn't have enough money to cover the cost. The poll found out 40% revealed they were less able to afford to pay their bills than they were just a year ago. Lending Tree Chief Credit Analyst Matt Schultz said some have fallen short of making ends meet. Life is getting more expensive by the day. It's shrinking Americans' already tiny financial margin for error down to zero. Unless they've been able to increase their income, millions of us have had to make sacrifices because of inflation to pay the bills. Perhaps the worst part, inflation likely isn't going anywhere anytime soon. That means short-term quick fixes won't cut it. Qualtrics, that's Q-A-L-T-R-I-C-S, was commissioned to conduct this online poll of 1,577 American consumers, ages ranging from 18 to 76. In September, data showed the average American lost the equivalent of 40 $200 in annual income just because of Bidenflation and rising interest rates. That's according to the Heritage Foundation. More recently, 62% of voters said Biden's economy is crumbling as the midterms approach. Most Americans identify inflation and skyrocketing cost as one of the main issues 
as they look toward these midterm elections, it's the 900-pound gorilla in our room. And I don't see it. Experts don't see it. And I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not an economist. I don't see how the Biden administration could get anything done in a positive fashion to at least stop the downward slide and kind of find a plateau where we can just kind of begin to rebuild and reshape. There are more people living paycheck to paycheck today than probably ever before in the United States. Nobody's talking much about that. Biden administration isn't for sure. Their answer, when you ask them, what are you going to do about problems? Their answer, their go-to answer is always, it's Donald Trump's fault. Or it's Vladimir Putin's fault. It has to do with the Ukraine war. All of these factors weigh into our economic problems that we have. But that's always, that's an ongoing thing. Inflation obviously doesn't live in a vacuum. It's impacted by all kinds of things. Some, the Biden administration is totally responsible for. But then there's, it's like when you throw the rock into the pond, you try to skip it, and then you count the circles that keep going ever wider and ever wider, but there's always three or four or five or six circles that are not right where the rock hit the water, but they're obviously influenced by the rock. That's what's happening in Bidenflation. Every day, new problems crop up, new problems for people like you and me. And this administration doesn't have any solutions for us. They really don't. Democrats, their number one go-to about everything is it has to do with racism. Somebody, you know, one of those evil conservatives made this happen or made a decision to do it or won't let us make a decision to get away from it. White people, this, this will frost you. This is coming out of Wisconsin. White people were told to engage in a racial shaming exercise to remind them of their white privilege. And who told them to do this? The governor of Wisconsin, Democrat Tony Evers. Tony Evers, who was up for re-election, was the superintendent of the Department of Public Instruction for 10 years, from 2009 to 2019. During his time there, the department worked alongside Volunteers in Service to America, VISTA for short. Evers spoke very highly of VISTA, And he said that Wisconsin was very fortunate to have assistance from VISTA's volunteers and that their work was very important. A document titled Addressing Racial Privilege, a mental model for white anti-racist, was distributed at a joint DPI-VISTA training in 2013. That was while Evers was the superintendent. This document, it told us all to engage in a number of anti-white racial shaming exercises, including wearing wristbands as a reminder of your privilege and as a personal commitment to explain why you wear the wristband. This instruction sheet also told white people to find a person of color who is willing to hold you accountable for addressing privilege and to make a daily list of the ways privilege played out and steps taken or not taken to address it. 
set aside sections of the day to critically examine how privilege is working at Red. Another section demanded attendees be willing to teach others and to hold them accountable. It asked a number of questions, including what am I doing today to undo my privilege and how do I define my moral obligation? All of the questions, the demands and action items were centered around the quote-unquote big question, which read, how do I live with my privilege? How do I live with my privilege? Now, remember, Evers was the big guy. He was the top of the heap, the superintendent of this department of the Wisconsin government. He had control over the curriculum of Wisconsin public schools. And you know where this is going. (laughs) All of this crap was being pushed down from his department at the state level into the cities and counties and public schools. After initial outcry about this racially charged document, the Wisconsin DPI scrubbed the document from their website. A section of their website titled Power and Privilege, it denies that DPI officials had ever asked students or school personnel to wear wristbands to atone for their white privilege. But the website does say that after a training session with VISTA volunteers, a packet of additional resources was offered by the trainees and the trainers as the volunteers left. Subsequently, that entire resource packet was posted on the VISTA website. What does this mean to you? What this tells me, we're finding out just in the last, what, 24 months, maybe 30 months, that this white privilege, this anti-white curriculum in public schools that's being pushed down from the federal government and in the state governments, it's been going on for longer than we knew. Why wouldn't they promote it? Why wouldn't they get out in front of this? If it's so good, if it's so important, why wouldn't they be getting as visible as they possibly can to help more people? You know the answer. The answer is this is politicization of dominance, of control. Somebody, and it wouldn't be you or me, but somebody in this whole structure that they're promoting, somebody's in charge. And that means that person in charge has to make all the rules. It doesn't come to a point where it's bottom up where the people are the ones that own the government. The people are the ones that make the decisions. And yeah, the people have representatives to which they pass their personal opinions through voting for them and talking to them. And then those people take actions, but the actions they take is not based on their opinions. It's based on the people's opinions. This is a a direct assault. And it's coming out of the governor's office, or at least the guy who is governor, when he was in that department, he's the one that put it all together. I'll guarantee you the people of Wisconsin did not know that about Tony Evers, their governor. I guarantee you they didn't. Have you kept up with John Durham's investigations going on? 
I got to be honest with you, the latest thing he has done, it's just drug on and on and on. And I understand how it works. All of this is being done in secrecy. It has to be. Investigations are always pretty much kept secret. But it seems like nothing's happening there. The second trial out of his years-long investigation into the origins of the Trump-Russia probe It starts later this week with Igor Danchenko. I've heard his name again and again, so have you. He's a Russian national who served as the primary subsource for that antitrust dossier, the Steele dossier. And he represented in court fighting five counts now of making false statements to the FBI. He pled not guilty last year to lying about the source of the information that he gave to ex-British intelligence officer Christopher Steele for that dossier. In it was salacious and now debunked allegations against Donald Trump. Durham charged Danchenko a year ago. The charges stem from certain statements he made to the FBI relating to the sources he used, giving information to an investigative firm in the U.K., related to the dossier. He served as the primary subsource for the dossier, which was commissioned, by the way, by Fusion GPS. That firm was paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee. They threw in some money, too, and it all was paid through law firm Perkins Coy, which, by the way, no longer exists. Just thought I'd throw that out there. The Steele dossier was the basis for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act FISA warrants against former Trump campaign aide Carter Page, something the Justice Department's Inspector General revealed in 2019. The DOJ admitted that the FISA warrant to surveil Carter Page, when stripped of the FBI's misinformation, did not meet the necessary legal threshold never should have been issued. But here we go again. So Dan Chinko is finally going to be tried. But I got to be honest with you, it's stuck in my throat. It's stuck in my throat when I heard that what they're charging him with is not anything to do with the meat of the Russia collusion story. What does that mean? They obviously don't feel they have enough evidence to go for the gust, the, the throat. That's concerning to me. Gosh, I got to be honest with you. As an American, I get nauseated when I think back through the four years of the Trump administration at the investigations that were ongoing and how serious it was and how diverting all of the attention was given to it And I look at what Donald Trump was able to accomplish for the American people. I'm not going to go through the list. We've done that before. We published a list. It's multiple pages. I just wonder if all that didn't happen, how much more could we be experiencing as a result of Trump's policies as a businessman, which is what the United States needed at the time. And we need one of those again right now. This administration is 180 degrees from from where we were regarding our economy. You know, I paid a buck 60 a gallon the day Joe Biden was elected president. A dollar 60 cents a gallon. Didn't even think about it. It was no big deal. I wasn't excited about it. That's where 
the price of gas had been in Louisiana for some time. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be back there where our taxes had been reduced, our incomes were going up at record paces, African-American employment was at a new high, all-time high, women in the workforce, working, making great money, more than ever before during the Trump administration, and the southern border uh, flood of illegals had been slowed to a drip. And if you were with us, you heard earlier Kamala Harris, vice president, on a late-night talk show last night, and she said their administration, the Biden administration, the problem they have with the immigration system is it's broken, and it was broken in the Trump administration. Yeah, it was broken. He was making sure everybody that worked in his administration adhered to the rule of law, even the immigration laws that Congress had passed. Democrats don't think anything about not enforcing laws. They can pick and choose which ones they want to enforce. Let's move on. How about Tony? Tony, Tony, Tony. Haven't heard much from Dr. Fauci, have we? Well, more and more news slips out every couple of days. Latest that I've seen, Fauci edited a research paper from the organization that conducted research on infected bats with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and at the same time downplaying concerns that COVID-19 may have leaked from the Chinese lab. He edited the research paper. So he knew what was going on from the very beginning. A view of the scientific journal PNAS shows that Fauci was assigned to edit the paper and the paper detailed efforts to collect Nipah virus from wild bats in Bangladesh. That was back in January of 2020. The paper was funded by several grants. By whom? Da-da-da-da! The National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, which is Fauci's agency, and authored by members of the EcoHealth Alliance. That's the entity headed up by President Peter Daszak. That's the kind of like clearinghouse for medical grants coming out of our federal government. Fauci directs them, and it's kind of uh, slush fund money. It goes to EcoHealth, and Peter Daszak does what he does. He's supposed to go out and execute the grants. Looks more and more every day like what he was doing was going out and paying whoever whatever he needed to perpetuate the pandemic problems across the world. So as Fauci edited the EcoHealth paper, he worked to quash debate every day on the hypothesis that the group's taxpayer-funded work with the Wuhan lab could have been connected to the COVID-19 outbreak. Emails show that experts warned Fauci in the early stages of our pandemic to take that theory seriously. Dazig thanked Fauci in an April 2020 email for his efforts to dispel myths surrounding EcoHealth and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so what did Fauci do? He approved the EcoHealth paper for publication in September of 2020. NIAID accused EcoHealth and 
October of 2021 of failing to properly report that its lab-made coronavirus in Wuhan exhibited a viral load over 10,000 times higher than those found in humanized mice cells. In August, NIAID canceled funding for EcoHealth's work with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, citing its failure to provide laboratory notebooks and original electronic files from the research that was conducted there. So, when all this came out, everybody looked at it, looked at what happened, and there was a consensus finding. Fauci's involvement in the editorial process of all this was a massive conflict of interest. Fauci should not have agreed to serve as handling editor for this paper, especially not in January of 2020 at the start of a pandemic possibly caused by reckless research funded by Fauci's Institute and conducted by authors of that paper. It's kind of like in a circle. Everything in our government works in a circle. One guy sits down here, he's going to do something. Well, it'll be passed along to another guy in the circle, and he or she does the same thing. But at the end of the day, everybody in the circle got a piece of the action. And who's paying for the pieces that they got? The American people. And that's not a conspiracy theory, folks. That's publicly proven information. Let me give you another little tidbit that nobody's talking about. Joe Biden's quite admission that the full cost of his student debt cancellation scheme will be included in the 2022 fiscal year budget and that it'll be and financed entirely by new debt is a reckless budgetary gimmick and a great error. Now, that's according to economists from across the political spectrum and around the world. One senior Biden administration official told the Wall Street Journal that the loan forgiveness program, which the White House estimates is going to cost $379 billion, but could be more depending on the number of eligible people who apply for the relief. It's going to be added to the 2022 fiscal year budget without any payment mechanism whatsoever. In other words, we're going to write a check, and that's kind of in theory. There will be no check written. But Biden, through executive order, is going to cancel student debt, 10000 for each person up to that amount, and 20000 for those that went to school on a Pell Grant. Now keep in mind this one thing. It is illegal for Joe Biden to cancel debt, federal debt. Why? He doesn't have the authority to do it. There is somebody who has that authority, and it's the United States Congress. So in other words, if Joe wants to take action on his one chit that he has that is worth anything regarding politics, cancellation of student debt. The fly in the ointment is he can't do it, but he's still promoting it out there, and his people are still promoting, hey, 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 look what we're doing for you. And I tell you this, he's going to try it. He'll do it through executive order, but the day it is issued, there's already multiple lawsuits that are queued up to go after his illegal action. It, it just blows my mind. 
day after day after day. You and I both, we watch, we listen, we talk about it, we hear it. How in the world can this administration, how can this president reconcile him not enforcing the laws that are on the books? And he gets mad because Americans won't let him do more stuff that he wants to do. He doesn't want Congress to weigh in on anything. He wants total authority, total permission to whatever he wants to do in whatever area. He just does it on his own. We'll pay the price. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie. Hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. So what is front and center today in the minds of every American? Number one is our economy, our inflation, the cost of goods and services, and money not going as far as it used to go, and certainly not going far enough. And the big player, I mean the 900-pound gorilla in the room when this conversation is going on, is energy cost. Energy cost means gas at the pump. Well... After he cut domestic production, Joe Biden is saying today the United States must become less reliant on foreign oil. Now, let me just say this. The first time I heard this, I doubled, I did a double take. I couldn't believe it. I mean, everybody in the world knows that Biden on his first day in office he took an axe out and he went after the fossil fuel industry. Day, day number one. And everybody watched it happen and everybody on the planet knew what the results were going to be. We were virtually energy independent. A month before the election, for the first time in decades, we were not having to buy domestic oil. Now, in some cases, in very isolated cases, we were buying oil but it wasn't because we couldn't get it here. They needed some specific type of oil at a specific time. So Biden cut our domestic production at the same time he's saying that we've got to get less reliant on foreign oil. White House spokesman John Kirby said just a couple of days ago that the U.S. needs to be less reliant on foreign oil 
even as the Biden administration continues to take action to rein in domestic oil production and freeze gas leases. This is Admiral Kirby. He formerly was the spokesperson for the Pentagon. He got moved to the White House. We need to be less dependent on OPEC and foreign producers of resources like all. After the oil cartel, OPEC announced it would cut oil production against the White House's wishes, a move that will cause oil and gas prices to climb worldwide. It started immediately after this this whole thing came to light. Kirby pointed to the Biden administration's sales of drilling rights as proof of Joe Biden's commitment to energy independence, and he accused domestic oil producers of not taking advantage of those opportunities to drill. Let me address that for a moment. This is the company line. Well, we put out a bunch of leases, and they they decided not to do the leases, or they did the leases, and they're not starting drilling on them, and it's all their fault. That process is just one little bitty piece of getting oil out of the ground. What they're not telling you is before they can drill on that land those leases come from, there has to be an environmental assessment. Who does that? A whole string of climate change sycophants. And in almost every case, they take the law, the oil makers the oil production people, they take them to court suing them for environmental problems, what the drilling would be on those leases that they just got from the Biden administration. And then that's not the only one. Let's just say it just goes right through. Everything's cool. There are no guarantees anywhere on this property that are included in those leases that there's oil. There's no guarantee. How did they find that out? They got to start punching holes. But here's another big problem. Even though they have the leases and have bought the rights to drill, before they can punch a hole, they've got to get a drilling permit. And who does that come from? The Biden administration. And the Biden administration has not been very good about issuing drilling permits. In fact, everything they do is based on their overcoming, overwhelming push to stop fossil fuel. In the first month of his administration, Biden issued an executive order pausing oil and gas leasing on federal lands, making good on his campaign commitment to reduce oil production. When he was a candidate, candidate Biden said there would be no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill Period. It ends. Now, if the President of the United States, he promised to do that, he got elected, and he made the statement and he started the process, do you have any idea what it costs to drill an oil well? I do. It's not cheap. First of all, there are no guarantees that you'll strike oil or gas if you drill a hole. But that doesn't change the cost of punching it and completing it and connecting it to a oil line or a gas line to get it to market to be sold. It is extremely expensive. And you've heard, of course, about the gas 
the shale, the very, very dollar lucrative shale that's almost under every square foot of ground in the United States, those wells that are drilled cost a minimum of $15 million a well. So what they're doing is here's an administration that hates the oil industry, that damns the oil industry, that talks about how evil they are, and from time to time they take actions based on that, and they expect these oil companies to roll the dice and go out and punch a $15 million hole hoping they hit oil and gas and then hoping when they get it ready to come out of the ground and go to the marketplace, the Biden administration won't change their policies. Remember, Joe Biden is not governing by sending bills through Congress and getting them passed and him signing them into law. No, 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 no. He does it on a whim. He'll come out and do an executive order at the drop of a hat, and he probably would do that to these oil people if he got too much political pressure from members of his party. It's not about what's best for the people. It's not about what the people want and need. It's about the political problems that come when he does anything positive for the fossil fuel industry. Meanwhile, the price of gas, I, I, I predicted this last week, it'll get to between 7 and $8 across the nation. I promise you. That's a wrap. Steve Baker was with us. If you missed it, go grab the podcast in just a few minutes. And tomorrow, the guy that owns more Bitcoin than anybody on the planet Earth and the co-founder of Philcoin, Dunstan Tao, will be with us at 910 Live. Don't you miss it. Be with us tomorrow morning. And on the way out of here, you can't touch this. When's the last time you heard this? You can't touch this. Touch this. You guys have a great day. Can't touch this. We'll see you tomorrow. My, 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 can't my music hits me so hard. Makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. When I'm mine to ride and do hype, it feels good. When you know you're down. A super dope homeboy from the Oak Town. And I'm known as such. And this is me. Uh, you can't touch I told you, homeboy. You can't touch this. Yeah, that's how we living. And you know, you can't touch this. Look at my eyes, man. You can't touch this. Yo, let me bust the funky lyrics. Fresh new kicks and bands. You got it like that, now you know you wanna dance. So move out of your seat and get a fight, girl, and catch this beat while it's rolling. Hold on, pump a little bit and let the noise go on like that, like that. Hold on, Mitchell, don't fall on back. Let them know that you're too much, and this is a beat uh, they can't touch. Yo, I told you, you can't touch this. Touch this. Yo, sound the bell, school is in, sucker. You can't touch this. Give me a song, a rhythm, making them sweat. That's what I'm giving them now. They know you talk about the hammer, you're talking about a show that's hyped and tight. Singles are sweating so fast, I'm a white boy.
this. Look, man, can't touch this. You better get a hype, boy, cause you know you can't, you can't touch this. Ring the bell, school's back in. Break it down.